1: Florida stayed unbeaten in the SEC with a decisive 38-24 win last weekend over Vanderbilt where the offense proved to be the difference maker. But we know that injuries are part of the game in college football and the Gators will now be without wide receiver Tyree Cleveland in the short term with a high ankle sprain while quarterback Luke Del Rio was lost for the year with a broken collarbone. The good news is that the offensive line and running game continue to grow, and we'll highlight that today in our conversations about homecoming, LSU, and more with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry, offensive lineman Jawan Taylor, and new running backs coach Jawan Sider. Let's get started with Scott and Chris, as we not only talked football, but also got some first impressions following Basketball Media Day. But before digging into that, we begin our chat by asking what stood out to them from the win over the Commodores.
2: You know, they finally played, I thought, the best complete game of the season. Uh, you know, they put up 38 points, 467 yards of total offense. Uh, there was a mixture of some big plays in the passing game and running game. And, uh, again, you saw s- some young players emerge uh, even further, most notably uh, running back, Malik Davis, who, you know, had 124 yards on, what, 17 carries. Had that touchdown run, that sealed the game. And, you know, the big story, obviously, in the game was, you know, the Gators went back to Felipe Franks after Luke Del Rio, who started. And now he's out for the season. So, I mean, this is clearly Felipe Franks' job right now. Uh, You know, the offense uh, has kind of uh, gelled with him a little bit, I think, in that second half. And it'll be interesting to see what they do against LSU because, you know, Malik Zare is still here, and Jim McElwain spoke uh, earlier on the SEC teleconference call that, you know, he's preparing. He had his best-ever game against LSU while he was at Notre Dame, and, and they've looked at some stuff there. So, you know, you look at this game on Saturday, there's still, uh, you know, maybe we see Frank Sinn uh Zaire because of his experiencing against LSU. Uh but as far as the Vanderbilt game, you know, my big take, like I said, thirty-eight points, four hundred and sixty seven yards, the best offensive performance of the season by the Gators. Yeah, they gave up some yards to Vanderbilt pass them, but for a change Adam, uh, you know, Gator fans weren't biting their nails at the end. They finally won a game that was out of reach by the the last final minutes. I
3: and mean, you look at the last two weeks, uh, I think it was a Kentucky Florida rush for hundred and eighty six yards. Really established uh, some movement, north-south movement in the fourth quarter. You know, kind of exerted some force in that regard. And then against against Vanderbilt, 218 yards rushing, I believe the number was. Some big plays, running plays in the fourth quarter. Obviously, the put-away play by Davis. So this is a team. Again, you know, we've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum back in the spring. Offensive line is the best uh, uh, group on this team. That's what the coaches kept telling us. Didn't see it in the Michigan game. Didn't necessarily see it in the Tennessee game, but I think we've seen signs of it against Kentucky, which the Gators went there and faced the Kentucky team that was number one in the league in rushing at the time, ran up some good yards, and then followed that up with 218 rushing yards. If they can do it possibly against LSU this week, then we'll see a really, really promising trend developing, I think.
1: Injuries are are such a, a critical part of this game, and they come seemingly at the worst times. For Luke Del Rio, you just feel terrible for him. He gets hurt last year, he comes back, gets healthy, has his chance, gets hurt again, and, and now at this stage of his career, I'm I'm curious if you guys you know, have any idea what, what his plans are. What does what his future look like given everything that he's been through?
2: Well, I mean, you know, technically he has still a year of eligibility, and uh, you could argue that they could probably get him a medical exception for this year if they really wanted to. You know, I haven't talked to Luke. He hasn't made those uh, plans known what his future is. Uh, you know he's 23 years old. He obviously comes from a, a background where his father's an NFL coach. He seems like to me that might be the kind of guy who loves football enough to go into coaching. He certainly got the the mental part of it down. I mean, uh, you know it shows that when he did get his little shot this year, the offense did uh, move at faster speed, and he knows this offense still better than any quarterback on the roster. Uh, so it'll be something we'll monitor and be interesting to see what he says about his future. Because, you know, like I said, he could come back next year and still be on this team. And uh, don't know, Adam, will be like I said, uh, he's got some options.
1: So with Del Rio out, it is Felipe Franks' team, at least for now. Again, th- things change rapidly uh, at the quarterback position here. But what are going to be the keys for Felipe Franks to be successful? What has he done well that he can continue doing now that he seems to have the keys and he's going to keep them?
3: Well, one of the things that will help him be better, is if I go back to what I mentioned before, is if, if that running game can continue to develop because obviously that's going to make him more comfortable in the pocket, give him more options, they will be able to do some things relative to the play-action game, um, which will probably put him in a better position to succeed as far as you know passing the ball down the field. Um, the playbook has to open more for him, I think, Adam, because mm-hmm. now that he's the guy, I, don't, I just don't see how you can play scared with him. Um, You know, obviously you don't want to get get him hurt or anything, but you can't you can't think that way. I think Florida needs to really like not necessarily just turn him completely loose, but give him a chance to make some big plays down the field. We know he can throw the ball over the top of safeties. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about setting him back in the pocket and seeing if he can go through some progressions and make some kind of cognizant decisions where he's throwing the ball down the middle of field. We saw his arm strength on that long. I don't think it was a 19-yard uh, sideline play to Tyree Cleveland um, in the second half that really demonstrated uh, his, you know, his arm strength and his ability to, to get the ball up on a dime and what have you. But I just think that his next step is to find the second and third receiver. Uh, you know that's hard. It's hard, and he hasn't been asked to do a whole lot of that. But if you're going to become a great player in the Southeastern Conference, that eventually is going to have to come. And at some point, they have to put him in a position where they have some confidence in him and let him do that.
2: If he's your quarterback, let him go out there and do his things, use his tools. But yeah, he he does need to make more experience. I mean, you can't judge a guy after, what, three and a half games? I mean, you know, he's been in the spotlight for a year and a half since he's been at Florida. We all know what playing quarterback at Florida means in terms of uh, fan critiques and uh, national attention and all that stuff I think he's starting to get a lot more comfortable with those kind of things that come along with the job now he just needs to go out of there and just through repetition making plays uh, gaining that confidence that you have to have at this level and uh, the road is really clear for him to do that if he had in back of his head you know Hey, every mistake I make, they've got Luke Del Rio here to pull me for. Right. He doesn't have to live with that anymore. And while Malik Zaire may play some, I think there's such different kind of quarterbacks. I think the offense is suited more obviously for Franks uh, in the overall picture. Maybe just some smaller sets for uh,
3: Zaire. So again,
2: just get him out there, let him gain uh, that experience that he needs, and see uh, how it helps him.
3: Yeah, it's going to. I mean, you're not looking over your shoulder anymore. So maybe we saw evidence that that helped him the other day. He, he knew they were going to take him out of the game because Malik Zaire is not better than Felipe Franks is right now. So just having that kind of in your head, this is my job and I, it's time to go do some stuff. Maybe the threat of not always being on pins and needles made him have a better game, made him a better performer that day.
1: Well, now after have to perform with injuries still a factor for the guys around him, specifically Tyree Cleveland, who he's obviously hooked up with a couple of times now. So what does this weekend look like in terms of the guys that are available for Florida and what are going to be the keys to making things happen against LSU? Well, I'd like to see Josh Hammond show up. Uh, he showed up on that one of the first plays of the
3: season when he caught that long ball down the sidelines of, of Michigan. Um, he hasn't caught a pass the last two weeks. I'm not saying he hadn't. When I say he hadn't shown up, he needs to be be involved. Mm -hmm. Um, Freddie Swain needs to be more involved. There's some players, a a wide receiver, that need to maybe uh, rear themselves a little bit. Um, What you also noticed, I thought, when Tyree Cleveland wasn't in the game, we had some tight end sightings. Mm -hmm. They threw the ball to Goolsby. They threw the ball to Morrill Stevens. Some big plays. So the tight end needs to be uh, implemented more into the offense. And I think maybe by osmosis, that's kind of what happened with Franks the other day. So... We're going to see some guys we're not used to seeing. Obviously, you need Tyree Cleveland out there. Last year against LSU, all he did was have a 98-yard touchdown reception. <laughs> um, so it would be nice to have him, but he's not there. they got to find other options.
2: There's been a lot of criticism or whatever you want to call it for the way the passing game has been called. I mean, they haven't exactly done a lot of downfield stuff, but when they did, it's usually been Tyree Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And so you take him out of the mix, and it goes back to who else is left and who else is going to step up and how they're gonna be utilized. You know, I, I look at what Chris just said, those tight ends, uh, you know, we know Goolsby is a a good receiver. Uh Moral Stevens kinda showed us a little something more the other day. I've always thought Siante Lewis, I mean, you remember that one game early in his career where he had the two touchdown mm-hmm. catches. I thought he was headed for more involvement in the downfield passing game way back when. It really mm-hmm. hasn't developed. Maybe you get him in the look mix and it, Dre Massey, you know, what? It, we still don't know what kind of a player he is. He's got one catch for two yards this season. And certainly some of his, I think, reps are probably being taken by uh, Kadarius Toney, the true freshman now. Uh, but he has offensive uh, playmaking ability that we've heard about. I mean, you got to think that they're going to try to utilize him in some way this weekend. But again, there's, there's no way to look at Tyree Cleveland's loss other than anything but you know a significant blow to the offense. Uh, and now, it's like Chris said, it's up to uh, some other guys rising to the challenge, and this is a chance for them to uh, make their way into it because now you've got your top two receivers at the start of the season, including Callaway, who's been suspended, obviously. But top two guys coming in now are not going to be there probably.
1: So with LSU coming in, It's just hard to know what to expect from them, because they obviously had a lot of hype coming into the year with Ed Ogeron, and they had rallied around him, but then they get the doors blown off of them by Mississippi State, who in turn gets destroyed by Georgia, and obviously a real headline grabber was their home loss, a night game in Death Valley that they lost to Troy. So what is LSU at the moment they come into the swamp, and and what threat does it pose to the Gators?
3: First of all, I would be kind of hesitant. I mean, I, they did not look good last week. They got gashed by the running game. I think one of those Troy tailbacks had 191 yards rushing, but I mean, it, it, Florida's not good enough to start making any assumptions. And I think Jim McElwain put it best when they asked him uh, the other day about potentially overlooking LSU after what happened. He he goes, us overlook anybody. <laughs> wow. And he, and that said, everything, Florida's not good enough to do that right now. Um, so I, I would be a little wary of that. I'm sure LSU's going to be talking a lot about uh, what happened last year. Uh, they were embarrassed at home last year. Florida partied on their field after clinching the East. You know, stuck it to them on the, that goal line stand. Um, had some fun on Twitter afterwards. And now that uh, I'm sure sh- they got trolled by Troy for God's sake the other <laughs> night. I, you know, those are some good players over there. And they're going to come in, I, I would imagine, pretty focused. They don't have their home crowd booing them. Uh, so I think this is a a dangerous time, and if if Florida can play a really good game and do what they should do at home, I think that'll say something about the maturity of the the team, but like Jim McElwain said, there's nothing to be taken for granted after a game like that, especially if Darius Geis is back in the lineup this week. All
2: I know, Adam, is based on Twitter this week, LSU fans have been drinking and tweeting a lot, and, uh, (laughs) you know, it's been fun to actually read and look at. (laughs) I mean, I can't really imagine if, let's say, they do come here and the Gators, you know, put it on them, and it's going to be a really bad week next week in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go along with Chris's line. They've got a lot to play for. I mean, they were embarrassed, pay about a million bucks for Troy to come down, Mm -hmm. you lose, and it doesn't look good. And of course, your coach is already under scrutiny, and now people are talking about, you know, he's got a 12 million buyout. There's, there's a GoFundMe page to try to raise money for that buyout. Already? So yes, there's already an LSU uh, fans have already started GoFundMe. Oof. I certainly hope it doesn't even get close to $12 million, but it just kind of goes to show you the the state of mind out in Baton Rouge there after, what, five games? There's three and two. They lost their only SEC game. And of course, losses to Troy upset fan bases. We know kind of have some history here. Mm-hmm. A few years ago there was a loss like that. And we know what that does. But, you know, that the football team, I mean, this week I'm sure Ed Orgeron and his staff, they've closed ranks. And, you know, it started a players-only meeting out there this week. And then a coaches-only meeting. And this morning on the conference call, Ed Orgeron said he met with the coordinators and Joe Oliva. So they've been meeting a lot out there this week to try to get their handle on what's going on. It's going to be interesting to see how that translates on the field. Because, you know, the players are going to come out fired up. just. If they didn't have enough motivation already from last year, what happened in Baton Rouge, losing to Troy certainly added more on. The, from a Gators perspective, I think you just uh, their motto this week, you know, like Chris said, they're not good enough to think they're going to just take care of LSU and have an easy day at the park. I mean, they got to stay focused. They're trying to find some players in the absence of Cleveland and I think they're still trying to improve a lot. I don't think all the sideshows really affect them any. I think they're just going to come out there. It's homecoming and and try to beat the Tigers and stay undefeated in the SEC East.
1: As we wind things down here from football, believe it or not, basketball is already starting up. I know Chris has been training hard to get ready for life back on the road, but Basketball Media Day, we heard from Mike White and, of course, the new women's coach, Cam Newbauer. So I'm curious to get a take from each of you on uh, what you heard that stood out. I
3: went to a practice on Monday and just sitting there, and I, I made this observation on another radio show that I was on um, to me, just watching and the eye test. This is the best team they've had since 2014 talent wise. Hmm. It's going to come down to whether or not they can play defense. They were a very good defensive team last year. I don't know if they can be that good this year, but they certainly have the athletes to be that good. They, ha- they have to get better, but what they really, really have is offensive firepower. Given that they have Kayvon Allen back, their leading scorer, Jalen Hudson becomes eligible this year from Virginia Tech. He's a very, very gifted uh, scorer. Those are two guys who can go get a shot anytime they want to. They brought in Igor Kolachov from Rice, and a graduate transfer eligible right away. Shot 47% from three-point range. Mm -hmm. uh, Was the only player in Conference USA to average double figures in both rebounding and scoring. Chris Chioza is a guy who obviously has played a lot of basketball here. They have. Uh, They have three guys who started over, I believe, 72 games during the year. They have a lot of experience. They have a lot of scoring. They have a a senior point guard who's played 105 games. This should be a very, very good team. They're going to debut probably in the top 10 of the AP poll. So now it's just a matter of going out and figure out some things defensively. And that's what Mike White talked about. And um, it's an exciting time for Florida basketball, given where maybe we were talking about last year going into the year. Next thing you know, you're in the Elite Eight now this fall, now you're talking about expectations and they're warranted expectations and now it's a matter of whether or not the, uh, the Gators can fulfill them and, and and deal with them.
2: What we saw yesterday from Cam Neubauer is uh, the excitement of a first-year coach who's taken over a, a new program uh, who's kind of, you know, obviously in his career he's elevated uh, quite a bit from Belmont University up in Nashville where he had a lot of success and now he's head coach in the SEC at a program that he realizes has all the resources that he needs to build a, a winning uh, team and a winning culture. But the biggest takeaway by far from him yesterday, uh, Adam, was he understands the challenge at hand. He understands. I think he's exact. The words were, you know, he's. This is about a job of changing the perception of the program, of getting the community more involved. I mean, he spoke as much about things that they've done in the community, some outreach uh, events they've done, some things players have done individually uh, just to kind of spark fan interest as he did about what this team is on the court. Because I think on the court, you know, there's seven new players. He he does have a roster that's a lot bigger than we were used to with the program. Uh, He's got 14 players on the roster, Hmm. seven are newcomers. So there's just a lot of unknowns on how that's all going to translate to once the season starts on the court. I, I think, you know, it's first year. There's going to be some uh, bumps in the road, certainly, for this team. But I think, you know, he's trying to, uh, I guess, reimagine what Florida women's basketball can be. And I'll tell you, he's definitely got the energy and excitement to draw some uh, more fans and interest in the program. And then the next step is, obviously, you go out there and put a good product on the court. And, you know, I think from that way, you know, some players that we're going to see that fans are familiar with, Alicia Washington is back. Andrea Anderson is back. And a player that we haven't seen that I think a lot of people want to see is a you know, player who was here last year but couldn't play. Funda Naka Soglu, a guard uh, from Australia, originally played out at Utah State. Big score for them for two seasons, but wanted to challenge herself and uh, get into a, a higher-profile conference, which she did here at the SEC. She's basically a basketball junkie. And, and uh, when I asked Cam Neubauer about her, she she has a lot of skills that you can't really coach. It's just natural stuff uh, that she's had there in her, uh, I guess, toolbox for a while. And he's excited to see how she adds that to the mix. So a lot of unknowns, Adam. But one thing I do know, the excitement level, at least
1: internally, about the program and the change
2: of culture, it, it's real. So now we'll see how it plays out in public.
1: As we wrap things up this week with our PAT, music has been a big story this week. And unfortunately, mostly for the wrong reasons, but something very relevant to Gainesville is the the passing of Tom Petty. And that made me think about great concerts, great performers. I love music. You guys love music. We've talked about it before. Uh, but I've never asked this question, which I this is something I ask everybody I know at one point I asked this question to. What is the best concert, best live music experience that you have ever had?
3: I'm going to go with, uh, I was a junior in high school and saw Led Zeppelin. Hmm. And, uh, they were, they were, I would say at the apex, I want to say it was physical graffiti tour. And that was a damn, damn good show. And having said, I've been a guy who I saw Billy Joe at his prime in a bar with 400 people in hmm. 1980. That was phenomenal in Georgetown. And, um, I've seen some good concerts, but I'm going to, I'm going to have to go with Led Zeppelin, uh, one of the three greatest rock and roll bands of all time.
2: Led Zeppelin's one of my all-time favorites, so that's going to be hard to top. I have seen the Stones actually recently, and they're always going to be a great show. But I think my personal favorite probably, Adam, is uh, 1992 at the Citrus Bowl in Orlando, a doubleheader with Metallica and Guns N' Roses. And this is a little heavy for Chris, even though he went to see Led Zeppelin in his youth. I don't think he likes the heavy stuff as much now. I do. I still like it. Not as much as I used to, probably. But I, you got to remember the circumstances back then. There was no bigger band in the world than Guns N' Roses at the time. And Metallica was like 1A because they had just put out this album that sold over 10 million copies, the Black album. Hmm. Guns N' Roses had released two the previous fall on the same day. But Axl Rose, there was nobody in music who was quite as entertaining as them. I just remember a lot of theatrics of that show, including, you know, dancers and motorcycles and fireworks and a lot of really good music.
3: How about, how about this one? 1984, Tenth <laughs> Row Center, Michael Jackson.
1: I mean, how would that not be your number one? One of my great regrets in life is that I never got to see Michael Jackson It, it, live.
3: it, it was definitely one of, the, one of the great concerts I've been to, but I kind of felt, I, I don't know if I should bring that up with Scott, because, I mean, Scott doesn't have any appreciation for pop there is some pop that I really like. This was 1984, the Victory Tour. Was and that, it, was and that
2: it, at the Jacksonville? It was. Gator the, Bowl? It was at the
3: Gator Bowl, absolutely. Huh. Yeah. Waited in line for like six hours and ran into the stadium, vaulted over all these seats, right to the 10th row center. In fact, when he threw his fedora during Billy Jean, it sailed over my head. That's how <laughs> to the
2: stage. I can't concert. believe we have
3: not had this discussion before this podcast, but I was actually at that show.
2: Oh, I come swear, on! I was telling. Hot pretzels. <laughs> I, swear, I wasn't he that big into... He was buying. selling pretzels. I might have bought <laughs> one from him. <laughs> you
3: may have. You may have. That.
2: <laughs> that was my first job when I was a teenager. 14 years old. And uh, I still remember doing that. Wow.
1: I got one. I'm not sure what it was called at the time. Backstreet Boys and who? No. No, it was not the Backstreet Boys. No. It was 2013 at the... I'll call it what you guys call it. At Joe Robbie Stadium in Miami. Uh, okay. Justin Timberlake and Jay-Z and it was unbelievable but I'm sure okay. neither one of you were going to be at that show
3: no but I but I was at Justin Timberlake's uh, wardrobe malfunction show with uh, were you Jackson. really
1: that's why right, you were covering that that's Super Bowl
3: no that was in Houston yes absolutely
1: uh, gentlemen thank you for sharing your experiences and your favorites with us today and uh, we'll talk to you next week
2: Thanks Adam thank you Adam.
1: As we discussed just moments ago, an offense can only be as good as its line allows it to be, and that's an area where Florida has shown some critical growth. We wanted to learn more about one of the Gators' young stars on the O-line, so we chatted with sophomore Jawan Taylor to find out how he and his teammates have bounced back after a slow start to the season.
4: Uh, really just like our preparation,
1: um, how hard we've been working in practice, uh really been paying off in the game. You know, Coach Mack talks so much about the O-line throughout the offseason. What impact do you feel like that had on you guys? Did it put a lot of extra pressure on you to go out there and perform?
4: Uh, not really. just um, showed that we needed to work harder in practice and um, you know, work hard in the weight room and OTAs and stuff. So the more work we put in, it just paid off.
1: When you started the season off against Michigan and it, it didn't go as planned, a lot of people said, well, the offensive line isn't as good as it's supposed to be. How tough was it for you guys when so many people were looking at you following the start of the season? It was just like uh, really just showing us how hard we needed to work um, on the off
4: season leading up to the season. So really just, um, we just used that fuel to our fire, make
1: us want to work harder and you know, be more successful on the field. Brad Davis took over as your position coach this year. What have been the biggest differences between him and Coach Summers as far as their approach?
4: Oh, uh, course, Summers was a great coach for us, but um, Coach Brad Davis, you know, he brought more to the table. Um, he's just been more tough on us and making sure, you know,
1: we're doing everything right. Really, just uh, he's overall a great
4: coach so far.
1: What were some things he worked with you on? Are there any specific parts of your game that he noticed and, and tried to help you correct? Uh, really, my technique, you know, just learning more about the run game,
4: more about my pass set, stuff like that. He just really just uh, tweaked all the things I needed to be t- uh, tweaked on in um, my my pass game man run game, so he's helped me a lot.
1: One of the early surprises this year has been the emergence of Malik Davis behind you guys. What have you seen out of him so far that it's made him so effective as a freshman?
4: Oh, um, he's just a great weapon for us. He's explosive. He got a lot of speed, and um, he's been helping our offense a
1: lot. So um, it's great to see a young guy doing that at an early point in the season, and um, he's helping us do it. Another young guy you've had to rely on is Felipe Franks to step in multiple times now at quarterback for you. What are some of the the most important things you can do as a lineman working with a younger quarterback like that to make sure it's as seamless a transition as possible?
4: I'm really just, you know, um, encouraging them as much as possible, you
1: know, um, just letting them know how good they are, you know, simple stuff like that. And um, things just go from there. What have you seen out of Felipe that that impresses you? What do you think gives him the ability to be a, a big-time quarterback?
4: Well, I'm really calm and um, humble, you know. Taking over, I really just helping the offense a lot. So uh, that's pretty much all I've seen. Just you know, just overall, it was great.
1: Speaking of freshmen being called in action early, that was the same case for you last season. You know, you don't see too many freshmen starting on an offensive line in the sec so what were the biggest challenges for you of jumping right into that situation
4: um really just learning the offense learned a lot of new techniques um actually how to play the position even better you know being young and going against such like older guys made me even better even every day in practice you know going against such a great players, so
1: i mean it helped me like you know just throughout the season i started progressing and got better Why is it so rare to see young players on the O-line? Why is that specifically a position where older guys tend to be so much more active? I feel like it's more maturity level and, you know, trying to pick up the position
4: takes a little longer than other positions. You know, your coaches have to trust you more and it's just
1: not, not an easy position. At the same time, you know, being young and coming in and playing that position is not easy. If we can take things back for you a little bit, can you tell us about your family and where you grew up? My mom's side of the family is huge. My dad's side of the family is not that big. But um, I'm from Cocoa,
4: Florida. I um, originally grew up over there. Um, I got a really, pretty fun family, you know.
1: Grew up over there just, just having fun with my fa- friends and family, you know. I have a lot of stuff to do in Cocoa, but it's fun. <laughs> so what what would you guys do in Cocoa if there's not much going on down there? Uh, usually, like, once I got out of school, I'd probably go fishing, or play basketball with friends, stuff like that, video games. Not, not a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> at what point did you first become interested in playing football and, and what got you into the game? Uh, I was four years old. I started out playing flag football for a county league.
4: Um, really got into it just because uh, right around that time, everybody was saying how big I was and all that. So I was just like, you know, maybe I should try football. So right around then, I started playing flag and I met one of the coaches like that was coaching out there. So he invited me out there to come try it out. So yeah, it was just because, like, I was big and um, I right. met some coaches and uh, I loved playing. So that's how it happened. Just And then uh, every year after that was just a little league. Then I progressed into high school. And then after that was, you know, all four years of
1: high school. Now, were you always a lineman or because you were big, did you want to play other positions or were you sort of pigeonholed there? Um, I have been a lineman. I have always been
4: big. Um, played beef line and offensive line and little league. But when I got to high school, it started the offensive
1: line. Because of how big you are, I'm thinking about the blind side. And when Michael Orr is just crushing guys that are so much <laughs> smaller than him, was it like yeah. that for you at the early stages? Were you just so much bigger than guys around you?
4: Yeah, it was just like that. i always been the biggest guy in my classes. It's always been the biggest around the school. So, yeah, literally it was, it was the same way, <laughs> just bigger than everybody.
1: When recruiting picked up for you, what schools were you most interested in and why did Florida stand out for you? um i would say
4: florida florida state miami schools like that that stood out to me just like schools in state um but florida stood out the most because that's just always been a dream school of mine since i've been a kid like uh growing up wearing florida gear all the time in the class stuff like that just always been a dream for me and i'm uh, growing up watching those guys play so once i got off from florida it was like no question really i just just wanted to go to florida
1: in the last couple of weeks I've talked to Freddie Swain and Tyree Cleveland they both talked about growing up Gator fans and some of the players that they looked up to the most who are the guys that impressed you when you were growing up watching Florida play
4: well uh, mainly the Pounceys um DJ Humphreys, those guys really those three guys really were the uh, ones that inspired me to want to be a Gator and seeing like how early they went in the draft and how good they were and the impact they
1: made on the on the program, you know, that showed me that I could probably come in and do the same thing. Now, when you graduated high school, you were up in the 380s, but you've gotten down now to the 330s. How challenging was it losing that weight, and how did you do it? Well,
4: it wasn't too challenging. Once I put my mind to it, it ended up like you know, working out just fine. Um, ended up working out three times a day and just uh, dedicated myself to strict workouts and the strict um in there. so um after that it just it just started peeling off and I seen how easy it was
1: so I stayed with it and we took one summer and all of it was off so many people think bigger is better when it comes to an offensive lineman why is it important to stay at that lower weight I'm um, important because I can move quicker I can be more
4: effective in the game um I can play longer and not get worn out so fast, Uh, and my agility would be up, speed would be way higher, and, uh, you know, it just paid off being a lot lighter.
1: It just changed my game all the way around. So I read somewhere that during recruiting, the Florida coaches actually kind of shied away from you because they were worried about your weight. So uh, is that how it happened, and and how tough was that?
4: Yes. um, I was in my beginning part of high school, and I had started out really, really heavy, and then it was... They were like, interested in me and stuff. But uh, I went to camp and came back. And um, that's why I had lost all the weight. So they had got the interest back in me.
1: Once you got to Florida, especially being a freshman playing so early, what teammates had the biggest impact on you and in, in helping you develop?
4: Uh, when I first got here it was David Sark. Um, that was the guy who I looked up to the most, you know, being an older guy. And um, he always encouraged me when I first got here. Now it was just like um, other guys I'm looking up to are older guys here. Um,
1: probably be like C.C. C. Jefferson, um, Martez, and Ivy like all guys just I look up to. How do the defensive guys help you? I'm, I'm curious, you, you mentioned a guy like C.C. C. Jefferson. How does he help you become a better lineman?
4: Um, really just every day going against him in practice, you know, being such a great player and um, getting a chance to go against him every day. It's just helping me a lot because when I get in the game, you know, playing against a guy that
1: great, you'll get in the game, it'll be easier because you're just so used to going against great people every day in practice. As you look at your game right now, what areas are you most focused on improving?
4: Really, I'm focused on improving every area. Um, Running running game, pass game, screen game, you know, getting out in space. It's just like everything could be tweaked
1: even more. You know, it's always room for improvement. Now, you are one of two Jawan Taylors on this team. How often does that lead to confusion?
4: Oh, that leads to confusion pretty much every day. Um, <laughs> a coach could just say one of our names and we'll both just look over and be like, oh, no, that one. You know, like, <laughs> it happens all the time. Um, even when we're just uh, doing class where we're at the same class, it mixes us up all the time. You know, it's just everyday
1: thing, so it never changes. What do you guys do to to try and limit that confusion? How do you how do you separate yourself?
4: Oh, uh, we'll either say Big Waney or Little Wanny or we'll say Wanny T, or you know, we try to change it up all the time, but it never works.
1: Outside of having the same name, are you guys very similar, or are you very different? Actually, we
4: I'd say pretty similar. You know, we both just got fun, laugh, and personality. You know, we love to have fun and laugh and play around. So I'd say we're pretty similar.
1: When you have a chance to have some fun and, and laugh and get away from football. What are some of the things that, that you enjoy doing with your time?
4: Oh, uh, really, just if I'm outside of practice, I watch film or do homework, stuff like that. But if I get the chance, I try to uh, go fishing with some teammates. And um, really just keep it simple, uh, play video games, simple stuff like that. I don't do a lot.
1: Where is there to go fishing in Gainesville? I don't know. There's not many options, are there? Yeah, it's not.
4: It's small lake, so we try to go out of Gainesville, probably like drive an hour out, try to go find um, different places
1: to go fish at. Fishing takes a lot of patience. I'm curious which teammates you're able to, uh, to rope into that.
4: Uh, Tyler Jordan, um, Brett Hagee, you know, guys on the offensive line. Martez, <laughs> he likes to go with us, too. Um, you know, Brandon Powell, he likes to go fishing. Freddie Swain. Um, we all just try to incorporate those guys in, you know, just... It really brings a bond together, too. You know, we get to spend time with each other outside the facilities, too. So we try
1: to do different things like that. What's the biggest fish that you've ever caught? Do you have a prize fish that you, you keep somewhere?
4: Uh, I don't got a prize fish. i will say uh, the biggest bass I caught was about 16 pounds. The biggest trout I caught
1: was probably about 9 to 10 pounds. That's probably about the biggest I caught. Wow. Now, are you are you the best yeah. among the guys, or is, is someone in your crew better than you? Uh, we got something
4: in the crew better than me. Like they go offshore, so you know they catch even bigger fish. And I haven't been offshore yet, so I'm I'm an inshore guy, you know. So. We got guys in there that's better. Yeah.
1: So this weekend is Gator Growl, In addition to your game against LSU, do you have favorite concerts that you remember that you think back on? Oh, I remember last year we came.
4: Uh, we met um, Walker Flock. He came and uh, did a concert. So that was pretty cool. Meet him last year.
1: If you were planning your own Gator Growl, what three artists would take the stage for you? Future, um, Money Man, and um, NBA YoungBoy. Okay.
4: Yeah, a lot of a lot of my teammates enjoy that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> After everything that happened last year, Juwan, how much has this rivalry with LSU intensified for you and your teammates?
4: I feel like it intensifies
1: every year. You know, just two great teams going at it every year. It's a lot of fun to be in, uh, involved in it. Now you were supposed to have them last year in the swamp, and then obviously things changed because of the hurricane. So, how much anticipation is there for someone like you for the chance to play LSU at home for the first time?
4: Oh, it's going to be fun you know, playing them at home for the
1: first time. And it's going to be a lot of people, big turnout, I and mean, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. What have you really focused on this week in practice? What, what have been the keys to getting ready for this game?
4: Um, really just um, dialing in on
1: how great their defense is. You know, um, Just the
4: offensive line being prepared to play with their speed and um, their power up front. So um,
1: really just um, focusing in, dialing in on just their, um, their guys and how great they are. Well, Juwan, wish you a lot of luck against LSU and also in your future fishing expeditions. And thank you so much for talking to us. <laughs> Appreciate it a quarterback's best friend is a solid running game and the Gators have rolled on the ground in the last two weeks to the tune of 402 yards it's a welcome development for first year running backs coach Jawan Sider and Jeff Cardozo chatted with him about his committee of backs and how the Sunshine State native landed his new job with Jim McElwain
5: It was different because Matt came the first time, circumstances didn't allow me to come. But to better get this opportunity again, I said if it came around, I was going to jump on it. You know, he didn't even have to negotiate, try to give me. I said, Coach, I'm coming. I said, don't worry about that. I said, I'm coming just to get back home, man. Florida was always a school that, you know, I always had affinity for. You know, it was a school I wanted to come to. You know, being a quarterback, I knew if I came, I was going to try to make me play defense. So, that kind of deterred me from leaving the state because this was the one school in Florida I grew up wanting to be because being in Belgrade, let everybody go to Florida. Sure.
0: And, and you were a legit quarterback back in the day, so now you get to uh, you know, talk to the to guys you used to hand it off to. But although you didn't do that much, you're just throwing it all over the yard. But that experience, too, and, and meeting these guys, and, and you know the talent that's here. So how did you approach that when you, when you got here? Was it just, hey, start from scratch and everybody's sort of an even keel?
5: Well, it was, and then, you know, the good thing, you know a lot of these kids because you know, recruit a lot of these kids, you know, you, you come up runner-up to a lot of them. I remember recruiting Brandon Powell, pretty much the whole running back room. I mean, I had some kind of affiliation with them at some point recruiting, and then just relationships, you know, all these schools that we got a lot of these kids, at least in South Florida, are you know, been knowing me since they've been ninth grade or whatever, so it's cool walking to a place where you don't feel like a totally stranger. You know, I've been this place many of times, you know, being a coach's son, and why watching all my friends that played up here and, and you know so it was cool I knew my way around as soon as I got here I never got lost
0: yeah no doubt um, and, and these guys don't look lost so now the, the progression from game one against Michigan and, and now really three guys that are been pretty legit and getting better each and every week
5: well I think the biggest thing is trust you know and kids realizing that in the running back room no different in any skill position I mean, they all want the ball and made to understand. Listen, it ain't about me. It's about the team. And understand, everybody got a role to play. So let's play it together. And um, I think they buying in and understand. Okay, if I got, if I get hot, coach gonna lead me in. And you know, if somebody separate from the pack, they separated. So be it. I think you watch from game one the pressure of trying to be the guy. Instead of just going to play, probably caught up to us more than anything. And I think you starting to see these guys starting to settle in. You know, even the young, seeing a young kid take a lot of pressure off the older guys, kind of make them settle in. Look, I can just go play, you know. The biggest thing I coach every week. It's, listen, you were recruited to come to Florida for a reason. You're already a good player. So all I need you to do is make routine plays. If you do routine plays, well something good going to happen out of it? And I think they starting to understand what I mean by routine plays. Yeah.
0: And uh, you talk about a guy getting hot, and that's been Malik the last couple of weeks, and you guys have really ridden him for a freshman to be able to do that. And I know it's changed from, from when you grew up and freshmen come in and play right away, but he seems to pick up an offense, which isn't really that easy to pick up.
5: Well, he's porous. You know, I, I think the kid had good coaching coming out of high school. I mean, it's starting to carry over. And he got a chip on his shoulder, not a negative chip. You know, he felt like he's been overlooked for a long time, and now he kind of get to show, okay, now I can show you what I've been showing on my whole high school career that I've been a good player for a long time and the thing about him is his football, FBI man, his football intelligence, the way he can recite things and carry it over to the field is what's encouraging and you not you don't have to coach him more than one time to pick up things, you know what I mean and especially on offense, you know, you can't walk in and say I'm a play right away, it's not a spread offense where it's just wide open, you know this and you know that, you gotta know
0: broad things in this offense and he picked it up well and uh, LaMichael, too, guy that started the season and didn't start the last game. How's he handled that? And it, it didn't show like he was negative because he ran really hard last week.
5: Proud of that kid. You know, for two weeks he practiced as good as I've been around him, you know, the way he practiced. And I think he's one of them guys where the pressure of maybe being a guy trying to replace 25 instead of just going to be LaMichael probably got to him more than anybody. Yeah. I think you watch Kentucky game. You know, he understood the second half, he go the wrong way coming from the sideline. I said, that's worse than a turnover. I mean, the first play, that's no excuse on that. And then he could have pouted and said, man, it's wrong. Because you know, he actually played good in that game. He didn't do anything bad. Got to start it off good. But you know what? The other kid went in and got high. And I said, listen, that's no different that was you. I said, all I need you is understanding who you are as a player. Understand who you are go back to being you go back being the kid to play against lsu last year kentucky and start running that way and i think he went back to understand okay now pressure off i can just go play how i know how to play and man i am tell you what he sparked us in this last game malik got all the credit because he got the long yardage but this kid ran hard i mean you watch the way he's been picking up third and fourth down for us and You know, that play he scored on it. I want to say this first touchdown when he cut back on the defense on the outside zone play was telling me his eye was in the right place. So watching the way he responded, man, I'm telling you what, as a coach, I got a lot of confidence in those guys watching them go out there and play.
0: And in talking to LaMichael after the game last week, he gave a lot of praise to the offensive line. I know they've been a work in progress too, getting a lot better. But, you know, I think for for people to understand in order for an offense to be successful, it's got to be a cohesive unit, doesn't it?
5: No question. I mean, we're always talking about no matter what the O-line do, we got to make them right. It's like being in an open field when you got to make somebody miss. You know, they ain't going to always make the perfect block. But your job, if you press the line of scrimmage well enough for those guys, well, you can make that linebacker, D-lineman, get outside his gap. So, understanding those guys are now starting to fill off each other. You know, even just in not just running game, but protection-wise too. You know, you this group should naturally gravitate to each other, just like the receivers, and the quarterbacks naturally gravitate to you. Not that they present another group; they just around each other and they so cohesive together because they around each other all the time. My mediums right next to each other, so and I think they both feed off each other. You know, person just being around these guys, and I think it's starting to carry over on the field.
0: And uh, now LSU this week, and you know, I, I don't know if losing to Troy doesn't give them much confidence, or maybe it ticks them off even more. So. You guys will certainly be ready, and I know all the stuff that happened last year when you weren't around. I know that's not part of the conversation, but it's still LSU, and it's still another week in the SEC.
5: They're going to be ready to play. And I told my guys, I said, listen, you can forget what happened to Troy. Don't take nothing away from Troy. Troy played their butt yeah. off. I mean, they went in there and played. You know, I think they had – LSU had maybe 16 guys out. I said, you know what, so have we. You know, it's still a football game. They're going to come in here and play. I mean, remember what happened last year. I said, this team was a preseason top ten team, right? I said, they ain't forget how to play football, you know, might have how to hiccup on the way, but they're going to come in trying to ruin everything we got. And we got ready to go match the intensity because it's a rivalry game. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. We got to come in ready to play. If we don't, we'll get ran right out of the stadium.
0: Yeah, well, your boys uh, continue to, to be ready and, and get better and better each week. So uh, congrats on that. And I know they still got a lot of work to do, and I know you're excited about where this thing can go. Yeah, man, just keep them healthy, man, and keep going forward.
1: And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. It's going to be a busy homecoming weekend in Gainesville, but remember that the featured attraction of Florida and LSU kicks off Saturday at 3.30 on CBS and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the swamp.